So you had corporations that started actually participating in the development of this policy. Um, and private prisons um, are a great example of that. Um, they These were corporations that started working with legislators through different associations. One of the most common that we often talk about is Alex. Um, but they, you know, helped write things like the three strikes laws, um, some of the mandatory minimums, truth and sentencing laws that, um, you know, deny parole in many cases to people until they've served very, um, a, a big percentage of their um, sentence. And so these companies participated in the drafting of this legislation that now everyone has touted as not just um, legislation that was ineffective in addressing um, crime and uh, you know, issues, uh, but also was incredibly racist and you know had a wild disproportionate impact on black and brown people in our country. Welcome to the Prison Cells Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Craig, and alongside me is John Dacey, the Executive Director of Abolish Private Prisons. How are you doing today, John? Doing great, Robbie. Thanks. Also with me is Tank Johnson, the founder of Native Creations here in Arizona and a consultant to Abolish Private Prisons. Tank, how are you doing? Hey, hey, what's up? And joining us today is Bianca Tylek, the founder and Executive Director of Worth Rises. How are you doing, Bianca? Hi, Robbie. How are you? Great. The weather's great here in Arizona. Uh, it's, you know, like 75 and sunny outside. How is it in New York? Uh, not quite that, um, but it's actually unseasonably warm. So, uh, so it's, it's not bad. I went outside last night uh, with no coat, which in December, mid-December wow. is typically not uh, possible. And it definitely is this year. Perfect. Global warming. Yeah, exactly. There's a uh, there's some marginal upsides to come along with the sort of depressing, <laughs> soul crushing other part of it. So let's hop right into this episode. We're going to talk about the evil startup, how profit has gotten itself into the criminal justice system. And I know Worth Rises is really invested into uh, sort of working against this whole system. So you can you tell us a little bit about Worth Rises and the kind of work that you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, so Worth Rises, we are a national nonprofit criminal justice uh, organization that works specifically to dismantle the prison industry and end the exploitation of people who are incarcerated and their loved ones. In other words, anyone who is building their wealth uh, or otherwise profiting off of uh, mass caging of people or the control of our communities uh, are people that we consider targets. Uh, we really want to build a society in which no entity or individual depends on human caging or control for their wealth, uh, operation, or livelihood. So I don't care if you're a private prison CEO making $6 million a year or you're a correctional officer making $30,000 a year. We want to shut down the industry and shift the economy away from mass caging. So I know Tank last time when we were talking, talked about the Coralink system, right? This The phone system. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, and so you know, if you think about it, you know, I have an app on my phone. Um, it's a Coralinks app, and that app basically is the way 
it's the vehicle in which I communicate with my loved ones who are who are incarcerated and also um, give them, you know, give them money. And um, some of the surcharges involved with Corlings are just kind of uh, it's just slap in the face. Right. It's like you're here. You are trying to, um, you know, actively help someone behind bars. And, and a part of that is contributing to the resources that they can uh, participate in. And if you're getting um, these just kind of, you know, egregious taxes, um, you know, for the average family um, across the country, that that becomes a burden and those people become left behind in prison. And so um, just kind of seeing the, the the business model uh, of the money that they make, it's just it, it's really putting people at a disadvantage and, and, and it's affecting them just grossly. Yeah, I think people have in their minds, you know, the sort of media portrayal of what it looks like inside of a prison, right? right? You have all these government actors that are the prison guards and the people that are working, you know, often are the prisoners themselves. Mm-hmm. Bianca, can you talk a little bit about all the different ways that the, you know, the mm-hmm. private corporations, the for-profit people have, you know, it's not just phones, right? I mean, that's one, but there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to know even what Coralinks is. You know, what Tank's talking about is a system um, that exists specifically in federal prisons where uh, people can communicate through electronic messaging, but you are in large part charged for that, or you can deposit money for a loved one who's in in prison. You're charged fees for that. Telecom uh, is in large uh, part a big uh, piece of this. Um, In fact, one in three families with a loved one uh, in prison uh, goes into debt just over the cost of calls. So this is a really big issue that impacts so many uh, families that have loved ones inside. Um, but it's way more than that. It's commissary prices, right, that are um, exuberant. I mean, we're talking about products uh, that are often uh, worse quality than they are on the outside that are actually sold for two or three times the price, right? Uh, we're talking about healthcare. Um, you know, many in many prisons and jails around the country, people inside are charged uh, medical uh, copays, uh, despite obviously not earning um, very much. Uh, but on top of that, it's just also the healthcare companies that often provide really terrible healthcare uh, for you know essentially government contracts and collect millions and millions of dollars uh, from those contracts. You have food service providers. You have the contractors who build prisons and jails. Obviously, you have the private prisons, which, you know, sort of dominate most of the airwaves. But there is an endless uh, industry that really stands behind um, and supports and uplifts and then profits off of mass incarceration. It's an 80 uh, plus billion dollar industry uh, that we're talking about. And that's before we even get into conversations about prison labor and the exploitation that happens there. And, um, you know, we have to just understand that in many ways, incarceration is a public-private partnership um, that uh, seeks to exploit, uh, and what I say is traffic black and brown bodies um, for uh, white jobs in rural areas, um, and uh, just more broadly for people uh, who have wealth and have no scruples about how they make that wealth. And, and, you know, to kind of piggyback off of that, you know, there's this thing, right? It's called like the prison tax, right? And so we know that anything on the street has a price. And if you put that in prison, you can basically quadruple it, right? So whatever you're, and that's with the inmates, right? And so like, if, you know, if they're smuggling stuff in or whatever, 
the 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 price is quadruple and it seems like these these prisons have taken that same business model right like you know if if you get it inside of a prison you've got to charge quadruple or something crazy and 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 so um I, I think there's that dynamic of that the 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 inmates have a system of which they kind of use and the and the 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 people who are overseeing these these uh, these industries they're doing the same thing as the prisoners and and unfortunately there's there's no trickle down to the prisoners or their families uh for for any of this so um i, I just thought it was really kind of like glaring that you know both people are playing the same game and it's and it's just it's just extremely unfair well that's exactly why i call it a public private partnership because what a lot of people don't know is these corporations that sell these different products, whether it's commissary um, products or telecom or whatever, in most cases are actually sharing uh, the re- revenue or profits or proceeds with the county jails or the state prison system right. in what are, are you know essentially legalized kickbacks, um, but they're commission models, right? Where essentially the uh, same thing goes on telephone calls. Those rates, um, whatever is paid to the company is actually split with the jail. So they have every incentive to do the same thing. Um, so it's a it's it's pretty horrendous in that way. Man. I'm gonna pause for one second. Tank, can I, if you would bless me with uh, a moment of grace, which is to say, if we could not use the term inmates or prisoners, I would really appreciate it. Oh, um, sure. So we do. Yeah, we do, and I, and I'll just share really quickly. So language is obviously really important. One of the things that we always talk about is that when we like label people with some of these things, which is the same language that obviously like correctional officers and cops use and da da da, um, we forget that they're people. And usually when we like, if we could just refer to like people as people in prison, um, it gets people to sympathize more with that idea as opposed to them being like, well, I just don't know inmates, so I don't have to care about inmates. Um, no, I, I, I'm, I'm so, with you. Um, no, like, listen, humanizing, you know, I deal with it, right? So, Humanizing mm-hmm. anyone or any situation is is, is always uh, the better route, and so uh, thank you for lacing my boots and putting me up on game on that. Uh, that's big. But I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you know, last night I was I was you know talking to my wife and and she was like, yeah, you know, when when you called from jail, those calls you know came out to be like six hundred bucks, you know, and we're talking about mm. five ten minutes where I I know they're listening. And I'm just trying to tell her just pertinent information. Those were in excess of six hundred dollars, and, and that you know, like again, that was passed down to my family, uh, creating that burden. Yeah, yeah and there's a really important thing that you're raising there. Oh, sorry, I can just it's gonna be one second. There's something really important that you're raising there, which is that it was, um, you know, women who are supporting. Like what we found, eighty-seven percent of those that are carrying the cost. Of incarceration, specifically the cost of communicating with people inside, are women, disproportionately women of color. Yeah, I mean, I I assume that these things are all charged like per text or per minute. Is that still how the like revenue is being made? Yes. In many yes. cases, yes. yes. We've yeah. seen, yeah, we've seen a few deviations now. Um, we're actually working on some innovations in this field that might change that. Um, in fact, San Francisco has recently just signed a very different type of contract. But overwhelmingly, of course, we are still in this place where we are charging in 2021 toll rates per minute rates uh, for people to be on the phone, some as high as a dollar a minute. 
Yeah, and, and just one real quick. Yeah, so my my buddy who's in Red Rock private prison, they actually are getting, uh, they're able to do a video message on like a tablet and it's a 30 second thing to kind of tell their family or whatever. But the the price of the 30 second video is, you know, your family has to be able to contribute for for that. And so it, it's it's uh it's a different way of communicating, but um that's kind of the newer thing that that you know specifically Red Rock has gone to. Yeah, I just remember, you know, when cell phones were first coming out, they used to charge per text and per minute and everything. You have to purchase blocks. And when that change happened, I don't remember when it was, the early 2000s or something where text started to be free. Everybody used to run out of minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just remember it was like it was such a liberating Wait till way. 9 o'clock. To Wait till 9. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice weekend. Nice weekend. <laughs> and you had to like circle with friends or whatever that you could call in limited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just You're remember. Like, are this, you in my crew or not? Exactly. <laughs> I just remember this sense of like not having to think about it anymore and the burden that that relieved when you like when I'm talking to my friends or something, and I don't have to check how many minutes it is, or I don't have to worry like, is this text that I'm going to send to my friend, is it worth the 10 cents? Or is it worth my, like, if I have a package of 100 texts, is this worth the communication or whatever? I mean, look, I mean, we, we can talk to we're blue in the face about the injustices that, that they put on us. But, you know, for example, let's say someone in your family dies, right? And you need to, you want to go to the funeral, right? Like, you've got to come up with basically the the travel cost for the guys who are you know for the the workers who are going to take you to and from the to and from the funeral and oftentimes guys you know don't get an opportunity to see their loved ones off because they can't afford it and 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 whenever you're denying basic human rights just because people can't afford it then you, you know you're talking about uh, a a system that is is broken or it's not broken Doing exactly what it was designed to do. Or, or that perspective. Right. So maybe that's a good lead in. Like, how did we get to this point where we are here today? Like you said, that's how it's designed to work. How did we get there? Yeah. You know, I think the system, is, the, the criminal legal system is, was designed in a very particular way. Right. Um, and the way in which it was designed was to accomplish exactly what it is successfully accomplishing. Right, this is actually a very efficient system in doing um, uh, exploiting people, uh, particularly black and brown people who have been uh, marginalized by our uh, society and by our laws. Um, and so how did we get here? I mean, you know, I think there's there's many ways in which we got to mass incarceration. We're talking really more specifically about like how we got to uh, profiteering off the system at this like level. Right. Um, we got to go back a few decades uh, when mass incarceration really started taking off. Um, and that was, you know, early in the 1970s, 1980s, which is when we started seeing a lot of changes in policies of the federal government that were driving um, incarceration, like the war on drugs. Um, and it was in the 1980s that corporations um, started to observe this massive uptick in uh, people behind bars. Uh, and in seeing that, thought to themselves, well, here's a opportunity. Business opportunity. So you had corporations that started actually participating in the development of this policy. Um, and private prisons um, are a great example of that. Um, they, these were corporations 
that started working with legislators through different associations. One of the most common that we often talk about is Alec. Um, but they, you know, helped write things like three strikes laws, um, some of the mandatory minimums, truth and sentencing laws that, um, you know, deny parole in many cases to people until they've served very, um, a, a big percentage of their um, sentence. And so these companies participated in the drafting of this legislation that now everyone has touted as not just um, legislation that was ineffective in addressing um, crime and uh, issues, uh, but also was incredibly racist and, you know, had a wild disproportionate impact on black and brown people in our country. Um, And, you know, since then, that task force has sort of been uh, dissolved and those companies you know, like to claim that they are no longer, you know, doing such things, but the damage has been done, yeah. right? Those laws still exist. Yeah. Um, and our people are still in prisons and jails all over this country because of that. It's really interesting. Sometimes I hear people say, uh, whenever I talk about rape profiting, they'll say things like, well, if you did the crime, you should do the time, right? And I'm like, do you ever think about why certain things are even crimes? You know, marijuana legalization in this country Uh, has only taken this long because of the powerful corporate lobbies that have lobbied against it, right? The um, specifically alcohol, pharma, and private prison industries were some of the biggest lobbies against marijuana. Now, of course, some of them have now, especially alcohol, have found ways to monetize it and now are supported. But for many years, um, they invested a lot of money in preventing the legalization of marijuana. Um, So when we think about what's a crime in our country, even that is shaped by corporations. At APP, we believe the only way to truly end for-profit prisons in the United States is to challenge the constitutionality of private for-profit prisons in the courts. And with your help and moral courage, we will succeed. Completely donor-funded, we ask for your support. Your tax-deductible contribution will provide vital funding for building the infrastructure necessary to win a fight of this scale. And every dollar will bring us one step closer to our goal of abolishing private prisons. Please join the fight today by visiting abolishprivateprisons.org and click the donate button at the top of the site. And of course, like, share, and subscribe to the Prison Cells Podcast from wherever you listen. Now back to the discussion. Yeah, and it's funny, right? Like they have these uh, public statements that they'll make either by themselves or through their PR corporations. The Day One Alliance is a trade trade group that represents a lot of these industries. The Day One Alliance, big joke. Yeah, and they will they will proclaim until they're blue in the face that they don't influence criminal justice policies, right? But it's all public knowledge. Like you can go to Open Secrets and see that they're donating money to uh, people that are running candidates. And they have a lot of money that they're spending on lobbying. So, you know, it's if I'm a business and I'm spending all of this money, my shareholders would be really mad if I was not trying to get something out of it, right? Like they've got to be spending it to do something. And the only thing that makes sense that they're doing is to make sure that their business not only keeps going, but gets better. Yeah, I mean, just similar to any industry, right? You kind of have to, um, you know, adjust your business model with the times and, you know, kind of piggybacking off uh, what Bianca was saying is, 
you know, essentially, you know, once they, you know, they stopped or quote unquote abolished slavery, they needed to figure out a way to continue to keep these people uh, under control and working for free and essentially getting, reaping the same benefits uh, of slavery uh, post, you know, post that era. And so, you know, there was this, this grand scheme put together to do that. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, like, like she said, the, the, the system is working perfectly uh, the way it was designed. And it's just, you know, it just shows that um, the, these people can be light years behind the eight ball and really not even realize it. Yeah. yeah, one of the ways that we talk about it at Abolish Private Prisons is thinking about the story of, you know, how did we get from slavery, the chattel slavery that everybody thinks that's what slavery means, even though there's a lot of other definitions of it, how do we get from there to private prisons? And just thinking about private prisons as only the latest, you know, incarnation of slavery, right? And when you look at the things like the Black Codes and redlining and Jim Crow laws and all of the different ways that people have been, you know, restricted and made sub, you know, subhuman in a lot of ways, right? And so we just think about it, we call it an evil startup. That's one of the things that we're talking about today, but really it's more like the latest incarnation of something. And it's just a different formation that slavery takes today, right? And it's, yes. it's always about how can the people that have power, who tend to be, you know, especially in the United States, the white people, how can they use the legal system, right? How can they use government to write laws to keep other people, other groups of people to not have access to the same things, right? How can they continue to extract value off of those bodies? And I mean, in, in my mentor programs, that's one of the biggest things that I'm trying to get across to these, these young men and women is that it's a, it's a part of a much bigger scheme, right? Like it's not on the surface. And, and, you know, these kids go out and make these decisions that affect their lives for a long time because they think it's just kind of, you know, you know, it's just, I go to jail and I get some, some credibility in the streets and all that but they don't really know that they're entering into a system that is going to squeeze them like an orange and get every drop of money out. And then when they're done, they're going to discard them and, 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 and hopefully that they <laughs> degrade into the earth, you know, when it's all done. So um, I'm just trying to get people to see that picture and hopefully that offers a, a deterrent. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, we do know that prisons and jails don't work as a deterrent, but hopefully, yeah, no. you know, our conversation, right, can, which is that, um, you know, I think that well, it's really easy to find yourself in the criminal legal system. It's remarkably hard to get out of it. Um, there's a really brilliant exhibition of a porn maze done by an artist by the name of Jesse Grimes that uh, touches on this, that was literally about, you know, finding your way as a way in is a straight path trying to get out of the criminal legal system uh, is nearly impossible. Um, but, what, you know, in terms of some of what you were talking about, Robbie, um, around the history of, you know, how we get to mass incarceration from chattel slavery, I think, you know, we really, really, really need to unpack that conversation and people really need to um, understand that we 100% Bianca, what, what does that, what does unpacking that do? So I think unpacking that helps us understand why we have mass incarceration the way that we do today, right? And what um, labor looks like. I mean, so, so for example, 1865, you know, 13th Amendment passed this. And, you know, we just did a poll and we learned that 70 
more than, yeah, roughly 70% of people uh, don't know that there's an exception clause in the 13th Amendment. And that that exception clause, you know, in particular um, says except as a punishment for a crime, which has been understood uh, in many different ways, uh, but most commonly to still allow for involuntary servitude and even slavery in prison. Um, and so that, what people don't know after, after 1865, that exception clause was exploited by many states, particularly in the South, um, who then passed, as Robbie mentioned, Black codes. These were laws that only applied to Black people recently freed um, that criminalized just about anything about liberated life, um, with the like largest set of these laws being tied to vacancy, which means like, you know, being in debt was there for a crime, but only for Black people, right? Uh, not having a job or being unemployed was a crime, but only for Black folks. Um, and what that allowed the system to do was incarcerate people, uh, criminalize people, incarcerate people. And then they uh, launched a practice called, uh, and I quote, convict leasing. And this practice basically meant that states could, once they've incarcerated someone, lease people to, in many cases, private individuals and corporations. Um, we, in many cases, saw people who had just been freed from plantations working um, in involuntary servitude or through slavery in the exact, on those exact same plantations, some of which went to actually become prisons. Um, and they are commonly referred to as plantation prisons today, um, as still all through the South. And in fact, by the turn of the century, states like Alabama were making 73% of their state revenue by leasing people who had been uh, incarcerated. And it's important to know that after 1865, um, that it, the prison population in Alabama and other places went from being 99% white, because naturally Black folks were actually on plantations, to being 99% Black because of Black codes um, that you know, sought to essentially capture everyone who had just been uh, released right by our um, by the government by the 18th by uh, 13th Amendment, and so what you see then is the beginning of a system that was designed right to um, to capture black people, um, which then extended to brown people, which then extended to poor people, and we have now the system that we have, and we have to be reminded of how many things in our current system actually date back to slavery. Think about solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is a practice that dates back to slavery. It is the whole, right? It is the yeah. whole where you put people who were enslaved, um, who rebelled or resisted, you put them in a hole and you didn't give them food and you didn't give them light and you didn't give them access to people. That's solitary confinement in many prisons. It's still called the hole, right? When people refuse to work, they can be denied visits and calls with their family. That's a practice that dates back to slavery, right? Where you took women uh, children from their their mothers, right, um, who resisted. Uh, so many of those practices, we still have jobs in the fields and prisons, jobs in the uh, in the facilities down south, and they talk about that as like the field and the house, right? Um, so there is there are so many uh, practices that exist in our carceral system um, that have their root uh, in antebellum slavery, and it starts with the sheriff on horseback capturing enslaved people who had run away. Right. And who are still doing that in our communities. Right. That's some of the very first instances of what like private jails, right, where these slave recapturing 
houses where they would just have these small places. And the only purpose that that was there for was so that when these sheriffs would capture slaves, they had some place to store them for some amount of time. And so they could gather up groups large enough to make it worth transporting back to the plantations that they just came from. So, right, like you can see, as Bianca was saying, there's all of these little like mirrors. Every time we see these incarnations of a different kind of privatized system to extract value from people, every time you look back, there's another mirror, right? And like Bianca was saying, these black codes were only applying to people that were just freed, right? But a lot of times they were written in a race neutral way. And not all the time, there were some that were written in certain ways, but that is just how the war on drugs happened, right? You have these supposedly neutral laws that of course, disproportionately affect people of color. It's just another example of how every time you look, it's just another piece that looks the, exactly the same as yeah. the thing that came before it. Yeah, no, I mean, and and just kind of like, you know, when I, asked, when I asked Bianca, like, what's the value of unpacking it? You know, it, it, it shows oftentimes a direct line between the, you know, original and where we are today. And just by shedding light on that, I think you're going to adjust the stream of consciousness around it by being able to shed that light on the direct link to the original thing of slavery. There are many ways to get involved with the Prison Cells podcast, build your moral courage, and help us eradicate for-profit prisons in the U.S. Visit abolishprivateprisons.org today and build the momentum of abolishing private prisons by working with an organization to pass a resolution in support of the cause. Get to know the ins and outs of how private prisons operate and why. Outside of the site, you can write your congressperson and shed light on this awful practice. As always, please like, share, and subscribe to the Prison Cells Podcast from wherever you listen. Now back to the discussion. So maybe that's a Bianca, what is Worth Rises doing to sort of fight against this, right? Abolish private prisons has its strategy of using the courtroom, direct litigation, constitutional challenges. What is Worth Rises doing? Sure. Thank you so much. So I think there's a number of things, right, uh, that I mean, we're working on. One, our entire mandate is to challenge the prison industry. I mean, it's every component, every actor every institution who thinks that it's going to build wealth off of putting people in cages, um, we're coming for you. And we do that very aggressively. Um, everything from passing policies through legislation or directly with administrations and executive um, government officials, uh, things like one of the things we're you know, sort of best uh, recognized for is our prison phone justice work, which um, has you know, been moving quickly across the country. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, phone calls can cost as much as a dollar a minute in some places. Uh, we have started passing legislation around the country to make phone calls and communication in prisons and jails free, um, as it should be. And we passed the first piece of legislation to that end in New York City back in 2018, making New York City the first place in the uh, country to make phone calls out of the city jails free. That saved directly impacted families roughly $10 million a year. Um, and increased call volume by 40% overnight. That's how many people, families, uh, were trying to connect who couldn't because of the simple cost of a call. And since then, we've been able to um, get San Francisco there, support Los Angeles and San Diego, um, and also just pass legislation uh, in Connecticut, making Connecticut the first state prison system uh, to make communication entirely free. 
but we're also working on some of these things around um, slavery as you're as we were just discussing, right? Uh, we are um, running a campaign along with a, a broad coalition called End the Exception. Uh, End the Exception is all about ending that exception clause in the 13th Amendment um, to ensure that everyone understands slavery and involuntary servitude um, must be abolished for everyone without exception. And, uh, and so we encourage people to visit um, endtheexception.com where they can take action um, in just a matter of seconds um, to tell your Congress member uh, that they should support uh, what we are calling the Abolition Amendment. Uh, it's a new amendment that was introduced by Senator Merkley out of Oregon and Congresswoman Nakima Williams out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that's quite simply reads, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude may be imposed as punishment for a crime. Uh, so there are, you know, we have endless number of campaigns um, that touch on this issue uh, that, you know, range, as we said, from the issue of telecom to prison labor, but um, but also many others. To, you might be surprised. We're actually working on a death penalty case uh, campaign right now um, where there are corporations that are involved uh, in making new uh, death penalty protocols and, and creating new ways to essentially murder people. Uh, and so, you know, you'd be really, I think the world would be pretty, pretty shocked to know just how much profiteering happens in this really, really dark space. Um, so Bianca, I know this might be a little bit kind of like out of order in terms of the lineup we're talking about, but something kind of really specific transpired with me in terms of kind of why I picked up this flag of abolish private prisons and want to do this, right? So I was, when I was in the county jail, I, I would hear from other cells when guys got sentenced down to prison, I would hear, what? I ain't got no family over there, right? And so they were sending guys to prisons where their family couldn't easily get to them. And it kept happening over and over and over as guys were getting sentenced. And I was like, you know what? That's not right. And so when it came to picking up this cause, it was very natural. Did you have, did you have an experience that, that kind of brought you to this? Dang, thank you so much for sharing your story, um, you know, with the folks. I think it's, it's courageous, right, to hear about people's um, stories in this system, especially the system that, you know, is meant to rip people apart. Uh, and I know for me, I have my own personal experiences with this, uh, with this system and the criminal legal system as a young person who was adjudicated and, and had others close to me who uh, interacted with the system. But I also think, you know, at this point in time, with more than 2.2 million people in prison, um, it's something we all care about this issue. Uh, there was a recent study that showed that one in two adults in the U.S. actually has somebody in their nuclear family that was incarcerated. Um, and we are just incarcerating people at a rate that no other nation in the entire world is. And so regardless of whether you have a personal experience in this field um, or in this system or not, it's time you also uh, start paying attention. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about working with abolished private prisons I've seen is like you can come to care about this issue through a lot of different paradigms, right? Like we work with groups from various different you know, what you traditionally think of as political aisles or something like that, right? Like we work with faith groups who think that 
the way that people are incarcerated and caged today is inhumane. They really care about the dignity of the person and how that's stripped away. That doesn't necessarily come from a place that their personal experience had, you know, that how they came to it. We also work with people who think that we spend way too much money on incarceration and jailing people, right? People that traditionally are conservative or libertarian just think that it's way too much government reach into people's lives or taking too much money out of their pocketbook. So I think, you know, there's a lot of ways that people can come to realize that the system of incarceration, the system of value extracting off the backs of people is wrong. And whether that comes from a, a left wing or a right wing problem, everybody can see that it's wrong. Yeah. But real quick, hey, Bianca, we should uh, we should collab on some merch that says inmates are what? What is the word you like to use? People. People, right? So like, you know, your organization and our organization collab on some merch. That would be cool. I have a... I'm going to show you something. Sorry, I got to get up. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap in a second because I have a call. Yep. But um, I'm going to show you. Let's go. First. Nice. Nice. Yes. Let's, let's, we're going to, I'm going to get your number and we're going to talk about the merch line and we're going to go crazy. Yeah. I like, you know what? I want a merch line. I want a merch line with the frame of fuck profits free people. All right. I like it. Go ahead, John. Sorry. Hi, Bianca. <laughs> this is John. So, first of hey, all, John. Thank you for your service through Worth Rises and other work that you do. And we at Abolish Private Prisons are proud to be part of your coalition to end the exception. Um, corporations, of course, develop strategic plans to maintain their business and to expand their business. And private prisons, for example, um, either own or manage or both with regard to prison facilities. But maybe, just maybe, public sentiment is moving away from privatizing prisons. Can you give some examples of other ways in which the profit incentive has um, gotten corporate actors into other aspects of the criminal justice system? Absolutely. I mean, the industry is so vast and unfortunately it's expanded in many ways. Um, I think like there are, even the private prison companies are evolving now, right? As we start talking about criminal justice reform, right? And, and defunding police, all these things that are important conversations uh, in you know public discourse, um, you are seeing now corporations starting to co-opt some of these arguments and then uh, expanding their business. So, you know, we're seeing that in probation. We're also seeing that in electronic monitoring, right? What we saw a lot during COVID is that we saw a lot of people be freed um, because we were like, this is actually unnecessary uh, to be incarcerating uh, all these folks. But unfortunately, a lot of those people were then put on electronic monitors. Um, and, you know, as I heard one advocate, James Kogor, say, who works extensively on electronic monitoring, you know, electronic monitors turned my home into a prison and my family into guards, right? And that, like, understanding that is, is such an important framework because what electronic monitoring do, is doing, for example, 
is not actually freeing people. It's putting people in a different type of confinement and it's increased the number of people in confinement because uh, it's actually net wide. More people are being put on electronic monitors who would have never actually even gone to prison um, and shouldn't have even been on electronic monitors. And these monitors are routinely bringing people back. Right. And so, I mean, there is the industry is consistently evolving and finding ways to say, okay, if you're not going to let me make money here because advocacy is happening and families, communities, uh, advocates are pushing back, then I'm going to redirect this and, and paint it. You know, it's like putting lipstick on the pig and show you the solution that I have to offer. And what I've always said to people is if you created the problem, you do not get to be part of the solution. Right. We got it. Thanks. Yeah, that's great. Bianca, thank you so much for joining us today. Can If people are interested in your work, where can they go to find out more about you and what can they do to help? Absolutely. Um, please, 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 people can uh, visit us uh, at worthrises.com. Please sign up for our newsletter. We'll get you um, some really interesting and important um, writing actions, campaigns where you can take action um, to change things. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter uh, and Instagram and Facebook, all the all the places um, at Worth Rises. Um, if you're particularly interested in some of the uh, prison slavery, ending prison slavery work, uh, please visit endtheexception.com um, and visit and follow uh, End the Exception on Twitter um, and Instagram as well. Um, so, you know, we invite people in every which way form uh, to contribute. Uh, if you, uh, you know, have the capacity to donate, of course, we are a charitable organization um, that would love that support. Um, but if you can just take action, it's also great to educate your neighbors. That's it. great too. Uh, we have some really great resources on our site um, and, you know, just look forward to uh, having more people join the fight. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Bianca. Thank you.